Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio 104.5 FM and AM 930. It's great to be with you another Monday evening where we continue our reflections into these great Christian and Catholic thinkers. Certainly, we have been on a run with some great doctors of the Church that have really allowed us to sink ourselves into the richness and beauty of our faith. This week, this evening, we have one John Duns Scotus, blessed uh, John Duns Scotus, another Franciscan. We've been on a run with Franciscans, <laughs> both doctors of the church and Franciscans. Last week, we discussed St. Francis of Assisi, the founder of the Franciscan community. Not that it was his intention to start a community, but before that, we also talked about uh, St. Anthony of Padua, uh, St. Bonaventure, these great Franciscan doctors. And so we will be about another Franciscan doctor this evening, Blessed John Dunn Scotus, and I will be doing this with another John. John O'Hare is in studio with me. John, great to have you with me this evening. Nice to be here again, Joe. Thank you. <laughs> so here we have, again, another Franciscan John, and we need to emphasize this because to understand any Franciscan, especially any one saint, it is to appreciate the dynamism of the man we talked about last week and the charism of St. Francis. Last week we talked about the importance of this radical poverty, and his love for the incarnation of Jesus Christ. This is what drew uh, young John Duns Scotus to the Franciscan community. Uh, what was certainly unique to this man was he was endowed, that is, John Duns Scotus, uh, he was endowed with a brilliant mind, and we could say, John, a tendency to speculate not in the contemporary sense of how we might use that word within the context of doubt, but to speculate into the nuances of each and every moment and of uh, each and every encounter, to speculate into the subtleties, if you will. Uh, this is why uh, he has received the title, The Subtle Doctor, okay? Uh, why? Because he appreciated the nuance, the subtleties of how God reveals himself in each and every moment. And in that way, and in that sense, John, he is invaluable to us. Because in so many ways, we are in need of John today to speculate more in this mode of blessed John Duns Scotus. That is, to see how God reveals himself in all of the nuances and subtleties of life. This is what the new evangelization really is calling out of all people, clergy, religious, and lay alike. Uh, what's more, when you apply this speculation to theology, well, you're going to have a giant on your hands. If you are in tune with how God reveals himself in the subtlety of this verse or that verse, or we could say of uh, this great work or that great work of the Church Fathers, you're, you're going to have a giant, and this indeed is what we have, John. Let me give you a few facts of his life. Uh, Blessed John Dunscotus was born in 1266 and died in around 1266, died in 1308 in Cologne, Germany. Now, last week we had St. Francis, whose real name was John, but he was born in France, hence we have 
Frenchie. Yeah. <laughs> well, today we have sent John, blessed John Dunn Scotus. And Scotus was not his name. His name was John Dunn's, but he was from Scotland, hence we could call Scotty. You had Frenchie mm. last week, Scotty this week. So anyway, um, he was born in a, a town in southern Scotland, uh, a little bit south of Edinburgh, and uh, he became a Franciscan at about age... 15, was clothed shortly thereafter. He was ordained a priest at the age of 26, which is about the age nowadays when, in which a man would be ordained a priest. And uh, he was educated in Oxford, and he did a lot of work on Peter Lombard's sentences, which is was the most studied book of the Middle Ages. Yeah, and I'll just add there, John, we've talked about the sentences quite a bit, and I cannot reinforce enough for our listening audience maybe not necessarily to get into reading and, and examining the work by Peter Lombard, the sentences, but just understanding the importance of how we were called to integrate faith and reason into our education. This was such a great work because it brought to light how indeed faith and reason are these two great wings from which we can contemplate the deeper meaning of truth. You clip one of these wings, John, and you will not be able to understand the greatness of truth itself, which is Jesus Christ. So something important to be mindful of, especially today, because I think we've lost our compass with this a little bit. Okay, go ahead and continue, John. In 1277, there was a condemnation of 1277 by Bishop Stephen Tempier, the Bishop Mm -hmm. of... Uh, Paris. Mm-hmm. Now, he came up with 219 philosophical and theological theses that if you believe them or read them, you would be excommunicated. Mm-hmm. Now, these were a, a little bit vague, and they were not applied to any name in particular. In fact, people couldn't really apply to whom were they mm-hmm. aimed at. Mm-hmm. Now, Aquinas died in 1274. Some thought this was aimed at that way of thinking, but who knows? Anyway, Aquinas' star was going down just a tad, mm-hmm. and this is the world that he would come into as an adult. Now, here are some of the things that were on the list. There is no more excellent way of life than the philosophical way. Can't believe that, or you're going to get excommunicated. Mm-hmm. Another one, the intellectual virtues are good for humans. Nuh-uh, that's, don't want to do that. Another one was, the philosopher alone is the wise man of the world. So these were some of the things that were bandied about, sound, sound a little frivolous, but mm-hmm. these were bandied about, and um, people at the University of Paris really didn't take it seriously. Faculties then, as well as now, are very hard to control. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, <laughs> anyway, he went into that world, and he he began to write, just a little bit of a side, the word dunce comes from his name Duns because if you were a dunsman, you followed him, but a lot of his followers couldn't explain his thinking as well as he could, hence they were as for mm-hmm. the word. And I'm yeah. afraid I'm going to be a bit of a dunce when I try to explain him. <laughs> but if you get into the word uh, intellect and will, this is a real generality. Dominicans put a lot of value on intellect. Franciscans put a lot of emphasis on will. Both are necessary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was in this vortex of arguing that John Dunn Scotus took will over intellect, that really willing is the way we choose. He goes mm-hmm. into God. Mm-hmm. God has freedom. God mm-hmm. has will. And, uh, for example, in the Ten Commandments, God could have said, honor your father and your mother. He also could have said, honor your cousins. God didn't. He had to see his freedom. He can do that. So, blessed John Duns put a big emphasis on will, and that is what really drives human beings, is their will, less than their intellect. 
Yeah, his focus was also on the heart in that context as well. So uh, the heart is uh, the decision-making organ, right? <laughs> Everything flows from the heart and back to the heart. And uh, the heart is uh, where we choose. I mean, when I say and when we say uh, that the heart is where all of our decisions are made, for Blessed John Duns Scotus, it is uh, synonymous with the will. And so for him, it was the will is where all decisions, uh, where all decisions are made. Uh, this definitely gets into some of the classic arguments of the relationship between the intellect and will. Obviously, we need them both with some of the um, overarching theologians. But I would also say, John, for um, Duns Scotus, uh, there were two other key principal themes of his works. Um, first, the incarnation Correct. alongside the Paschal Absolutely. Mystery as well as his devotion to Mary and his defense of the Immaculate Conception. Yes. And in many ways, his defense of the Immaculate Conception is uh, why he is known today. But I want to focus in a little bit on his uh, love for the Incarnation, uh, because this is, for him, where it all started. He put an emphasis on the Incarnation because of his emphasis on becoming a new creation in Christ. There's a great deal of, of love for uh, the infant king uh, within the Franciscan community. This stems directly from St. Francis himself. Uh, last week, as we spoke yes. to it, uh, he was all about, that is, St. Francis of Assisi, uh, bringing God into our everyday life. So he gives us things like the Christmas scene, uh, the manger scene, that we might meditate and contemplate upon the birth and infancy of Jesus Christ. This grabbed hold of John Duns Scotus, and he began to reflect with this theologically. And in everything he treated, it always came back to the Incarnation. And John, as it relates to the Incarnation, what are we talking about? Well, we're talking about the fact that the Son of God assumed human nature and became man in order to accomplish our salvation in that same human nature. In the Incarnation, what Jesus shows us, reveals to us, is the potential as human beings to live and aspire for the divine. And this is what uh, would lie at the heart of all of his theological and philosophical speculation. Certainly, you cannot speak of the Incarnation without speaking of the Paschal Mystery. And so he would also treat uh, the Paschal Mystery. When we talk about Paschal Mystery, what are we talking about? Well, if you we were to go to the Catechism, we are quickly reminded that it is um, about the Passion, Death, resurrection, and glorious ascension of Jesus Christ. Yes. And within the writings of Duns Scotus, what you find is how the Paschal mystery itself, and this was so important for Duns Scotus, is made present in the liturgy. So you would see within the writings of Duns Scotus this love for the incarnation and the Paschal mystery alongside this love for the Eucharist where we see in the Eucharistic celebration itself, the liturgy itself, this kind of, to fancy a theological word, recapitulation within the Mass of Christ's passion, death, resurrection, and ascension. When you go into the writings of Duns Scotus John, it's striking to find within the stream of his thought his love and devotion for the Eucharist. He would often speak of the importance of how our love for Jesus Christ and the Eucharist, demands that we serve the Church, that there is a communion between receiving our Lord in uh, the Eucharist and serving uh, the people of God out from 
uh, our new relationship with Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. So all of these were uh, central motifs for Duns Scotus. Mr. Dr. Theologian, what bothered me a little bit, though, is if he's going to put a lot of emphasis on the will, on the mm-hmm. emotions, a lot of times my will wants to do something, and I know it's sinful, mm-hmm. but I'll do it anyway. I mean, I know. I mean, the will, yes, the will is the ultimate chooser of something, mm-hmm. 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 but I'm very cautious about the will, and certainly in our own day and time where my emotions, that is my will, my desires for what I feel is good for me, is the only rational decision maker in a lot of our modern society, I really have some, I, I have some issues with that. He wouldn't want to see what's going on today, I think, go on in his time. As I got into some of him, I thought this is what, these, this put up little warning signs for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, what one needs to be mindful of, John, is uh, how we think about uh, the will in respect to the heart and conscience. Conscience is the law written on our heart. Prudence is the pronouncement of uh, that law written on our heart. And part of the formation of that heart, of course, is the intellect. So uh, as the Church would speak to it, and certainly Blessed John Duns Scotus uh, would fall into this discussion for sure, is that there is this kind of symbiosis, if you will, of mind and heart. But I would say uh, when a Blessed John Scotus puts a emphasis on the will, he's putting an emphasis on uh, the heart and the essence of what freedom is all about, which of course is love. We must remember, and I tell you, John, I am getting this question as much as any other question today. Why is it that God, who is so loving, allows so much evil? Well, the answer is actually in the question. It is because God is love that there is evil. Well, what do I mean? Well, think about it. Can we say love is possible without the free will? Hmm? Can we say that love can know the light of day if we are not choosing from within as opposed to without? You see... And that was at the heart of Don Scotus, that we could come to understand and come to grips with the necessity to see that in the end, this great call we have to live in charity comes from the heart. It is not minus the intellect, but it is a deeper understanding of how the heart uh, is in relationship uh, to the will, in light of freedom, as you spoke to it. Uh, So very important. This other piece of the Immaculate Conception, I wanted to go ahead and uh, read something, John. This is an account of uh, the defense of the Immaculate Conception, and uh, we'll kind of go ahead and reflect out from this. I pulled this off of the EWTN website. It was in Paris that Blessed John came to be called the Marian Doctor after he championed the privilege of Mary's Immaculate Conception. In England, Blessed John taught the truth of this Marian privilege without any opposition, but it was at Paris the situation was reversed. The academic body of the university admitted only the purification of Mary in the womb of her mother, St. Anne, like that of St. John the Baptist, Alexander of Hale, St. Bonaventure, St. Thomas Aquinas, the great Parisian masters, were not able to solve the problem of the universality of original sin and of the efficacy of Christ's redemption, that is, how Christ's redemption affected grace in his soul. They thought that even the Blessed Virgin Mary was included in this universality, and therefore subject to contract 
the original stain, even if only for an instant, so that she may also be redeemed. Scotus, in his attempt to introduce and teach a theological position different from that upheld by the university, had to appear in a public dispute before the whole academic body at the risk of expulsion from the university if he failed to defend his doctrine. Wow. Now, what's important too, John, is to remember the importance of the dialogue, what, what a debate is all about. It's not your opinion and my opinion and let bygones be bygones and we can just agree to disagree. No, that is not what faith is about. Remember, dialogic. Logic is the instrument to reason, and we can discover truth with that, of course, in light of faith. We continue. Blessed John Scotus prepared himself for the event in prayer and recollection and in total confidence to the Immaculate Virgin, the seed of wisdom. And this is a great caveat to the life of Duns Scotus. When the fixed day of this dispute arrived, on leaving the convent, he passed before a statue of Our Lady and with suppliant voice entreated her, Allow me to praise you, O most holy virgin. Give me strength against your enemies. We pray that, oh, by the way, in the Marian consecration, huh? Our Lady responded with a prodigious visible sign. The head of the statue moved and bowed slightly before him. It was huh. if to say, yes, I will give you all the strength you need. And so it goes, John, two papal delegates presided over the dispute, and with powerful dialectic and with deep and subtle <laughs> reasoning, blessed Scotus refuted all the objections of the learned men in attendance, and they included the giants, John, including Thomas Aquinas. This is a man who was fearless. He never undermined the foundation of the faith while explaining the beauty of the Immaculate Conception. One of his key lines was this, John, the perfect Redeemer must in some case have done the work of redemption most perfectly, which would not be unless there is some person at least in whose regard the wrath of God was anticipated and not merely appeased. For those of you out there who are serious about learning about this, this is the argument called preventive redemption which in its most simple terms speaks to how the Immaculate Conception is the masterpiece of the redemption brought about by Christ because the very power of his love and his mediation obtained that the mother be preserved from original sin. Therefore, in the dogma of the Immaculate Conception, uh, John, it was who? Pius IX in 1854? More correct who professed that Mary totally redeemed by Christ already before her conception was immune from the stain of original sin. Uh, the patron saint of the United States is Mary, the Immaculate Conception, and that was decided by the Catholic Church here in the United States in 1844, 10 years before its official Striking. Uh, before, before its official proclamation. And I would also go back to Gabriel's uh, announcement to Mary, hail full of grace. Mm, so He important. knew right away. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Greek verb used in there, as you know, uh, is kind of a past perfect participle. I 
kind of forgot my Greek. I mean, you have yeah. always been full of grace. Yeah, it is. It, the kekaritomene is yeah. the Greek. It, it is a perfect participle, which means it's an action completed in the past. It is hail full of grace. Uh, the gratia plena is, you know, you who have been fully endowed with grace. Uh-huh. And to, to know that it's a perfect participle is so important, John, because it's an action completed in the past. Again, God rolled up his divine sleeves and in the Immaculate Conception created his masterpiece. And it was necessary. And we are so grateful for one blessed John Duns Scotus because he helped us better understand, yes, theologically, but also with a deeper sense of why. She was the model disciple. Could have she said no? Yeah, she could have said no. Just as Eve said no, Mary says yes. Um, This is why, and it's within the school of Franciscan theology, I believe it's Bonaventure who says, when the angel greets Mary, all of heaven takes a deep breath. (gasps) Yeah. And in her yes, exhales. Yeah. Right? (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Because she could have said no. She could Uh, have, yes. God was humbled himself to ask a human being, I need your help. And she mm-hmm. said yes. Yeah, and yeah, isn't, thanks, Mary. Yeah. yeah, isn't it? It's so incredible to be reminded of such a, a simple thought, John. There is something else that I think you have pulled out to read as it relates to um, the relationship between theologians and the laity, in particular, how the people of God were already intuiting and understanding the importance of the Immaculate Conception. And these are the words of Benedict the Sixteenth. Concerning the teaching on the Immaculate Conception, important theologians like Duns Scotus enriched what the people of God already spontaneously believed about the Blessed Virgin and expressed in acts of devotion, in the arts, and in Christian life in general with a specific contribution of their thought. Thus, faith both in the Immaculate Conception and in the bodily assumption of a virgin was already present in the people of God while theology had not yet found the key to interpreting it in the totality of the doctrine of the faith. The people of God, therefore, precede theologians, and this is all thanks to that supernatural sensus fidei, namely, that capacity infused by the Holy Spirit that qualifies us to embrace the reality of faith with humility of heart and mind. In this sense, the people of God is a teacher that goes first and must then be more deeply examined and intellectually accepted by theology. May theologians always be ready to listen to this source of faith and retain the humility and simplicity of children. I mentioned this a few months ago saying, there have been great scholars, great experts, great theologians, teachers of faith who have taught us many things. They have gone into the details of sacred scripture, but they have been unable to see the mystery itself its central nucleus, the essential, has remained hidden. On the other hand, in our time, there have also been little ones who have understood this mystery. Let us think of St. Bernadette of Subrio, of St. Therese of Lisieux, with her new interpretation of the Bible that is non-scientific but goes to the heart of sacred scripture. Amen. Amen. I just thought that was so beautiful, John. When I was reading through... um, some of the commentaries to Don Scotus, when I read, of course, and it happens every week with Benedict XVI, those words, I thought they were important for our listeners, because, John, there is this tendency to be intimidated by theology, 
But uh, what did he just say? Uh-huh. <laughs> this sense of faith. It is by the gift of the Holy Spirit that we can be infused with a deeper understanding of the ways of God. Uh-huh. And out from this very thing, we have what's called, John, the vox populi, the voice of the people. Yeah. And this is very important to the life of the church. And there must be this ongoing dialogue, this reciprocal relationship between the theologian and the person who might not have that same kind of endowment of intellect so as to be able to explore the faith so that ultimately the faith can be handed on in an intelligible way. This is very important to the mission of the Church today in her new evangelization. There are many people who have excellent educations and don't, and, and kind of go a little bit astray, not maybe intentionally, but for whatever reason. And we have people like St. Bernadette and St. Therese mm-hmm. who are there. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we were talking about the intellect and the will earlier. <laughs> there are those who, you know, their intellect is on steroids, <laughs> yeah. so to speak, right? Where there's just an overemphasis uh, on the intellect, on the academia, if you will, minus the will. Uh, they're not appreciating the dynamic of that overarching truth that uh, to live is to choose and to choose is to deny self and enter deeper into the incarnation of the Paschal ministry of God. All uh, very important to um, any treatment of uh, Blessed John Duns Scotus. One last little thing, uh, somewhat on topic. Blessed John Duns Scotus was kicked out of Paris sometime around 1206 mm. by Henry IV because he got into a dispute with Boniface VIII over who's the boss of Europe, the Pope or the King. This is going to plague the Church and politics for a while. Yeah, you know, we have seen throughout the history of the Church, John, that uh, men and women... Um, will not acquiesce to the state, if you will. Being obedient to the Holy See, they are going to be persecuted. And from one century to the next, and from one millennium to the next, we are going to see this. Uh, And in many ways, this is just a not-so-subtle reminder that in our own day and age, we need to be willing to stand up against the state, what it means uh, standing up for truth and to appreciate the dynamic interplay between the relationship of church and state and how we find our uh, vocation within that tension. And by vocation, I mean our call to love and to be bearers of truth. It's June 15th today, John, 2015. And uh, let me tell you something. There are plenty of opportunities today in this culture of death to bear witness to truth, which means, John, first and foremost, to understand what the culture of death is about, because the culture of death, before it is anything, is first an absence of love. There is death because there's an absence of life. There's an absence of love. And we have to be mindful of this when we engage conversations. We have to be mindful that the person we are talking to has a wounded past, has hurts that they don't want to have to deal with. And so we have to engage them accordingly. We are to enter into that great passage that comes to us from 1 Peter 3.15, that we are to give reasons for the hope that is inside of us and do it with reverence and gentleness, inviting the person into that conversation, into that dialogue, something that Don Scotus himself was so good at. Uh, It is to never forget that here we have again, John, another very holy man. Many, many people were flocking to see him, to engage him, to receive spiritual direction from him. 
So uh, we can never lose sight of that point as well. All right, I'm looking up at the clock, and John, we are out of time. We'll go ahead and wrap up with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. All glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.